I had a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of life. I was doing good things in the front of the community, but my home life was filled with um, expectations for my wife and for my kids, um, a lot of selfishness, a lot of self in everything. Um, so my life wasn't as good, um, very rebellious and um, on drugs, dealing drugs. Um, so life at home was, uh, I loved it, but I, I'm sure the atmosphere that I set or the environment of my home setting was not as great for my kids or um, maybe even for my wife. In adventure, it was crazy, you know. It, God was, thank God that he was with us, you know, because my husband, he was a handful, his two handfuls, you know, he was like, oh, I, I never knew what was going to happen from day to day. The bottom was, um, as I'm dealing and doing drugs, um, I got busted one day, arrested, and then going to prison, um, serving time, doing time. Uh, the real reason, or the bottom line for me was not having my family, not being able to um, have my wife. I, I really took advantage of my wife and my kids. Um, really not setting my gratitude towards them, not appreciating them for who they were. So my bottom line was I miss my kids, I miss my wife. And, and when I couldn't go outside, I was looking at this flower outside of the window and not being able to go out and just touch that flower. It told me that my freedom was gone and I hit bottom. I didn't know if I could make it back from there. I messed up. I remember that time, you know, so well. I was scared. It was really sad. I was wondering how we we're going to get on with life. I had our children. We had no money, you know. And the pastor was in prison that time, you know. But again, I thank God because he was always in our lives and he just blessed us with wonderful parents. So we had a wonderful support system, you know. When my husband went to prison, you know, our families just stepped in, they provided, they helped, they sacrificed, you know, I'm so thankful for that. So, and then when my husband got out of prison, you know, he was just a completely changed man. It took time, but you know, it was all for the good. And it was one night that my wife, I was trying to get in touch with my wife, and I couldn't. And when I finally got in touch with her, all she could tell me was what was going on outside in the world, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I had a limited time, and I had to hang up, and I was really disappointed. And I went back to my bed, and I found the Bible. And I started reading the Bible in Hebrews, and it talked about faith. And it was at that time that God told me, don't worry, have faith in, in Him, and have faith in myself. And he'll pull me through. And it was because somebody cared and somebody brought the Bible into the prison. 
So I believe I found Jesus Christ in prison. You know, the man you see today is not the man that I married 30 something years ago. I mean, like, I, I don't believe it, you know, and it's like, I, I've seen how God has touched him, and it's like, it's just so amazing, and I'm so thankful. I didn't get into this habit overnight, so it took me some time to forgive myself, mostly myself to get rid of the shame and the pain that I caused um, through my actions for not, my, not only myself, my family, my kids, my wife, my mom, my dad, and everybody that I hurt, I burned bridges, and it took me time. It took me three and a half years of walking the walk and not just talking the talk, but really showing them and really building back that trust Took three and a half years to get my kids, my wife, um, to trust me again. So it it it, it was gradual, but um, yeah, it was a it was a difficult walk for me. Absolutely not. You know, it's like we've um, experienced his miracles. We've going through his blessings that he provides for us every single day and it wouldn't be possible because there is a God, you know. We believe in God. We believe in our Lord as our Savior, you know, and it's just been so awesome. You're not alone. You know, we, we mess up. Everybody mess up in life. We're not perfect beings. And that's why when I found Jesus Christ, he, he was my hope and I'm, I'm sure he'll be yours. And um, Jesus Christ doesn't just help us in our recovery or reconciling us back to, to our families. He's not just about recovery. He's about all eternity. And he will be there for you in, during, and in your future. That's who Jesus is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is so true, isn't it? That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm so glad for that. That's what this series is all about, being a city on a hill. And as Pastor Charlie and Mapo was saying, it's, it's not the easiest thing to go through that transition, but nonetheless, God is always there. So what do we do when we mess up? You know, once we come to that realization that we've done something that is not right or we mess up in life, what do we do from that point on? Because sometimes we, we make a mistake, but sometimes we do things on purpose. But the end result is there are consequences. And so how do we live with that? And then, and then how do we transition from having a life that was messed up to a life that now God wants to bless. Well, that's what we're going we're gonna to look at today. And we're going to look at a couple of parables found in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But I'm also going to read it to us so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, Luke chapter 15 has a couple of parables or stories that Jesus spoke to some people. And we're going to get into that in just a bit. Uh, but before we do, how many of you guys have dogs? You just, you have dogs, 
And yeah, you have dogs at home, and you've got to feed them and you know, bathe them and all of that. Uh, have, some of you have dogs because you like dogs. Some of you have dogs because you don't like intruders. Some of you guys have dogs because someone gave you a dog. And some of you guys have dogs because they found your house. And so now that's their home now. But we, we all come to this place that even if you have a dog, if you've ever lost a dog, that's kind of a weird place to be in too. Now, if you don't like the dog and you lose it, you're kind of thankful. But if you love your dog and you lose your dog, now you have to look for it. We lost our dog when I was a, a little boy and growing up. And my mom said, go find Bear. That was the name of our dog. So I had to go look for Bear. So I'm around the neighborhood, Bear, Bear, trying to call our dog. And then my neighbors would say, hey, what you doing? I said, oh, I lost my dog. What color your dog? Black. Oh, down the street. So I'll go down the road and I'll see my dog, Bear. Now, the thing with dogs is when you get closer, they know. So they act like, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm just sniffing around. I'm sniffing around. Then you get closer, then they move. And then you get closer and closer, and then they move from you. Oh, is my mic not on? Okay. Sorry about that. Maybe that's what it was. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking for my dog, and it's interesting that they know that you're getting closer. So I had to play like, okay, I'm not, I don't see you. So I, but I get closer, and then the dog would move, and by the time I get real close to the dog, I got to jump on the dog and hold the dog, and then you got to drag the dog home. Now, losing a dog can be difficult. You put up signs, you email people, you... You, you, you use social media, I lost my dog, you put it on Facebook, and hopefully your dog is found. Now we have computer chips that, you know, you can find your dog through tracking. We didn't have that. So losing a dog can be difficult. And as difficult as that is, imagine losing a child. As a parent, losing a child is probably more fearful than being the lost child. Now, in the beginning, as a lost child, you're having fun. Ooh, yeah, all the toys if you're in a store and you're playing. But you don't realize you're lost until it's long time till you've seen your mom or dad or your aunt or your uncle, and now you're lost. Now fear begins to sink in. But when you find that child and when that child is found, isn't it joyful? I mean, you celebrate. And the stories that Jesus is telling... And these stories that we're going to look at, it starts off in a, in a kind of difficult way when something is lost or someone is lost, but then the end result is that they're found. And so I'm going to read these stories uh, in Luke chapter 15. You know, one of the stories is called The Prodigal Son, and it was uh, Charles Dickens and Ralph Walder, Walden Emerson. Waldo Emerson, who said that the prodigal son is probably the greatest story that has ever been shared, that has ever been told. And Jesus told that story. But in Luke chapter 15, he starts off with addressing certain people because there's a reason why Jesus tells these stories. And it starts off in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him and the Pharisees and scribes complained. So the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious people. The tax collectors and the sinners were not the religious people. The tax collectors were despised. People didn't like them because not only were they taxing the people, but they would tax them more for self-gain. 
And so they would take more for themselves, and so people didn't like them. It's not like tax collectors today. They just collect what we're supposed to pay. But these guys, they collected even more. And so the scribes and Pharisees complained, and they said, this man, speaking of Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus spoke this parable to them, saying, well, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his possessions with prodigal living or wasteful living or reckless extravagant living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough bread and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this son, this my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. 
And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came home who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. And if you look at these three stories, Jesus addresses the tax, addresses the Pharisees and scribes because they were wondering why Jesus was so concerned about the tax collectors and the sinners. So Jesus gives them these stories about the lost, seeking something that is lost. It's like seeing in these stories, seeing three snapshot pictures of the heart of God. And God gets, he gets excited in every single one of these stories. They rejoice when something is found. And if God gets excited about something that is lost being found, and in this case, Jesus using this as an illustration to say, God gets excited when lost people, people that don't know God, are found. If God gets excited about lost people being found, shouldn't we get excited too? Shouldn't we as believers get excited when someone gives their heart to Jesus Christ? If not, if we're not getting excited about lost people being found, then we might identify with the older son more than we do the younger who strayed away and wasted his inheritance on extravagant living. See, every single one of us can live a life that's joyful, even when we've messed up, by understanding the heart of God. Here's the first thing that we can understand, that God is good even when I'm bad. He's good even when I'm bad. We've all done bad things. But it doesn't change the fact that God is good. Now, Jesus starts off the story with one out of a hundred. You know, one lost sheep out of the hundred, the 99 are okay. And then he goes to one coin out of ten. And then one son out of two. It's like God is so concerned for us as individuals. You may be lost in the world like the sheep was lost in the field, and you may feel like God doesn't care because in a crowd of people, why would he concern, why would he have concern for me? Why would he, what would he have to do with me? Why, why, would, why would he see value in me? But Jesus showed that it's not about the 99, which symbolizes Christians. And you guys are okay, you're going to heaven, you have eternity, but this one lost sheep is out of the pen. He needs or she needs to come back into my kingdom. Otherwise, they'll be lost forever. So he narrows it down, not just from 100, but then he goes to the 10 and then to the 2. You may feel like that one lost coin that in the, in the dirt or, or, or dust in life that you may feel like you're getting swept up with everything else and now you get lost in the shuffle of things. This woman that was looking for this one lost coin 
It wasn't that it was a, a, a monetary value. It had personal value because in those days, when they would have like a bride, they would wear 10 coins on a headband signifying their marriage. It's like a wedding ring for us today. Like if you lose your wedding ring, you panic. You're going to look everywhere for that wedding ring. You're not just going to buy another one. You do that if you can't find it, but you look for that wedding ring. Why? Because it has sentimental value. That's the one that was for you. So she's looking for this wedding coin, and then it can get lost in being swept up, but she finds it and rejoices. And then the son that is eating with the pigs and then comes to his senses some of us, we find ourselves in a situation in mud, but then we come to our senses. We call it the wake-up call. I hit rock bottom and I got my wake-up call. We will all have a wake-up call because we all stray from God. When God's people were taking over the promised land that God was giving to them, it was Moses who reminded the people in Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 through 6, after the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we are such good people. No, it is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity that you are about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must recognize, you must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this good, giving you this good and this good land because you are good. For you are not. You are a stubborn people. And I thought, whoa, that sounds kind of harsh. But what Moses was telling the people, he was saying, listen, it's not because you're so good. You're stubborn people. Look at your track record. You're stubborn people. You're hard-headed. I mean, some of us say that. We say, oh, so-and-so hard-headed, so-and-so hard-headed. Oh, this person, oh, man, they're just so stubborn. Your daddy is so stubborn. It's okay. Your mom is just so stubborn. It's okay. Auntie's so stubborn. Grandma's so stubborn. We, we, we say that people are so stubborn. Some of us live with stubborn people, and so every day is just like a grind to convince people otherwise but we're all stubborn to one degree or another in certain areas. And so what Moses was saying is it's not because you are good that you're getting the promised land. It's because he is good, and he's driving out the wickedness of the land. I like how Psalm 119 puts it, Psalm 119, verse 66 through 68. It says, I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. In other words, the psalmist is saying, if, if you are good and you only do good, then teach me. Teach me how to do that because I've messed up. Now what do I do? Well, I've got to learn from you because even when I'm bad, you're good. So I can learn from a good God. But here's the second thing. God is loving and affectionate despite my mess. I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad that he's, he's compassionate, he's loving despite our mess. If it's left, left up to us, then we're, we're stuck in our mess, but he's loving and compassionate. He's affectionate. Because isn't it true that the closer you get to someone, the more junk you see? 
The closer you get to someone, the more flaws you see. And you can only handle so much because now you know them up front or closer. The other day I was, you know, um, exercising and then uh, Heidi, I came into the house and Heidi said, oh, I want a hug. So I gave her a hug and it was just a short hug. And then she, it was done. And then she said, I can only hold my breath so long. <laughs> I said, why? She goes, you just don't smell good right now. And I thought, the closer we are to people, the more we can smell. I mean, it's not, it's, it can be good and bad, you know, but the closer we are to one another, the more junk we're going to see. The closer you are to a loved one, the more flaws you're going to see. I'm so thankful that the closer we are to God, He's able to accept us just where we are, even in our mess. The father ran to his son, even seeing his son from afar in the pig mess. But even when his dad got closer and hugged him, he didn't say, oh, brother, you've got to bathe. He just said, he kissed him, in fact. But then he, he, he does something for the son that the son couldn't do for himself. He said, he said, go get a robe and a ring and put some sandals on his feet. He wasn't saying that because he didn't love the son. He said that because he loved the son. In other words, what he was saying to the son is, I accept you just as you are. And nobody can add value like I can. I'm going to put a robe on you, brand new sandals, and a ring on your finger to show you your value. And Jesus likens the Father to the Son like how God is with us. But here's where we run into trouble. We think we're the robe changers. We think we're the ones who are supposed to change people. We think we're the ones that have the best clothing attire for people that we say, you know, you, you, you know you, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing that. And I understand with the heart of love for people, yeah, yeah, we have relationship. But at the same time, we can't change people. God will do a much better job than we can. He has the best robes for that person. It fits them. We don't have the capacity to do that, but God does, and he receives his younger son. He receives his youngest son, embraces him, and then says, I love you so much despite your mess. And he proves it. He welcomes him back and gives him a robe. God is loving and affectionate despite us messing up. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. No, before he made the world, God knew we would mess up. But even then, he still loved us and chose us to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Yes, we messed up, but now let's move forward. Others may see fault in you. You may see fault in yourself. But when you come to God, he loves you and chose you to be without fault in his eyes. These parables tell four different things about the main character in each parable, and it's likened to the heart of God. The main character in all of these stories possess something valuable, and they don't want to lose it. 
They all have something valuable. The main character in each story rejoices in the finding of the lost thing, but does not rejoice alone. You know, they gathered people together, or they threw a party. The main character in all of these stories express care in either the looking or the handling of that which was lost. So there's great care in it. And each thing that was lost has personal value, not just monetary value. The shepherd caring for the sheep, the woman cherishing her bridal jewelry, and then the father loving a lost son. There was all a personal value to it, not just monetary, which is what Romans 5.8 talks about, that God demonstrates. He demonstrates. That word demonstrates means to prove. You compare one thing to another to prove. He demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. That's the father running to his son in his mess. He still embraced him because God wanted to bless. The father wanted to bless his son. How long he is waiting for his son to come home. Here's our third point. God wants to bless me, but the choice is mine. He wants to bless us, but the choice is up to us. We're going to have to choose that. See, the son wants his portion of the inheritance, and he wants it now. And it was supposed to be given after the father had died. That's what the inheritance is all about. Now, the, if you're the oldest son, Jewish law says you get two-thirds of the inheritance. So the younger one would get a third. Well, he wants his inheritance now, and so he gets the inheritance, and then he spends it all. But in order, and you know, certain things are assumed in the story that Jesus was telling because in those days, there are certain things that didn't need to be stated. It was assumed, like the one lost coin and the, the headband. They knew what he was talking about. In this case, when the son went off and spent all the money, where did he get the money from? An inheritance doesn't mean just cold, hard cash. It could, be, it could be property, it could be a home or a building or some type of tangible possession that the son needed to sell in order to get cash for it or the money for it. And if you, like anyone today, you want to get cash quickly, you don't get full value of that which you're selling. So if the son was inheriting, you know, $50,000 and he says, I got to sell this property now, I need the money now. Well, how much is it worth? $50,000. i will give you forty-five. Forty-five? dollars Yeah, I'll give you $45,000. Oh, okay. It's like he cut himself short of his actual inheritance, the full value. And anytime we take shortcuts with God, we inherit lesser than full value. We cut ourselves short of the full value of the blessing of God. Oh, we'll still get a portion, but we don't get full value. Oh, we're still in his kingdom, but we don't get full value of what it's like to be in his kingdom because we have taken shortcuts or we justify what God has said and we change it to fit our needs. And so we sell ourselves short when we choose our own way and we take shortcuts. And we, usually we take shortcuts more because of convenience sake, not because we just want to take shortcuts. It's just convenient. It's just easier that way. If you go to the airport and you're hungry and you say, oh, I'll, I'll take a, a tuna sandwich. Okay, $17.58. $17. You can go out of the airport, go by a mom and pop store, and go get a sandwich for way less than that and some, you know, a drink and maybe a, a side snack. But because of convenience sake, you're not going to do that. You're going to pay the $17 for a sandwich just so that it can be convenient. 
but you pay a high price for convenience sake. You're at home, you're about to watch a movie. Oh, honey, go make some popcorn. Okay, you go to the cupboard, you open it up or the pantry, and there's no popcorn. There's no popcorn. What is there? No popcorn. You go into panic mode. What are we going to do? Let's just eat candy. We can't just eat candy. We need popcorn. We need the mood. We need the smell. We need the setting. We need the popcorn. And so you go to the convenience store and pay eight bucks for a bag of popcorn because it's convenient. You pour your cereal, you go to the ice box, the refrigerator, no milk. Ugh. You got to pay $12 for milk. It's right down the road. It's convenient. You're not going to drive far to go get, ah, waste time, waste gas. It's convenient. We pay a high price for convenience sake. And God says, I want to bless you in its full value. But the choice is yours. It's up to you. God gives us free will. He says, it's going to be your choice. You're going to have the freedom to choose. If you want to leave me, you can. If you want to stray away from me, you can. If you want to cut short your blessing, you can. I'm not going to force you to do anything. It's your choice, and he allows us to do so. And if we want to come close to him, that's our choice too. And he loves that. He says, I want to bless you, but you have to choose that. The way you, you utilize your finances. I want to bless you in that, but you choose the way you want to utilize your finances. You choose the way you want to use them. Your life in what you put into your temple, into the body, it's up to you. I want to bless you, but that's your choice. Ungodly relationships, that's your choice. I want to bless you in it. Immorality, I want to bless you in your life, but if you're choosing these things, that's up to you. He let the son go. When the son said, I want the inheritance now. Almost to say, Dad, I don't care. I want it now. And in a, in a roundabout way, he's saying, Dad, why don't you just die already so I can get my money? But because you're still alive, can I just have it now? It's like the son didn't even care about his father. Selfishness leads to poor decisions. All the arrows start to begin, start to point inwards than to think about the Lord and other people. Deuteronomy 30 Verses 19 and 20, Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Then he says, and let's read this part together. Ready? Go. So choose life. He even gives them the answer. He says, here's the blessing, here's the curse. So choose life. Then he continues, so choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and by holding fast to Him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. See, the father accepts the son just as he is, but he loves him enough to give him a ring and a robe. Now, you might be thinking, well, what if... I've chosen to be like the younger son. What do I do? What if I've messed up? I'm, I, I'm at the rock bottom point of my life or I've done some things that I'm not proud of and people are rejecting me and, and, I'm, and I'm at the lowest point of my life. Or you might be like the older son. Well, I'm still in the kingdom of God. I'm still with the father, but boy, my heart has changed. I, I, I find myself complaining more to the father than anything, but why did you do this? You know, the son, he's here and why are you, why are you doing this for him? And and it, what if you find yourself in those situations? Well, here's the last thing, and this is for all of us. God always welcomes me back, 
even when others don't. He always welcomes us back. Isn't it true that he's so forgiving and loving? He will always welcome us back even when other people turn away, even when other people put us down, even when other people don't understand what we're going through. God does. And he welcomes us back with open arms. We are all wayward children, but we're all children of God. That's the commonality that we all have. See, the life of a believer is like climbing a greased pole. If you're not climbing, you're sliding down. There's no in-between. The prodigal son comes to his senses when he is with the pigs. Some of us will have that wake-up call. We make decisions that are not wise that leads us to a wake-up call. The father was generous and loving, and his son didn't see that until he was eating with the pigs. Many of us, even in church, we don't realize what God is doing. And not until God really opens our eyes or gives us a wake-up call do we understand. You know, I've been in this situation where I would get so close to serving in ministry that I see more than I've ever seen before. And then I say, oh, got problems here, got problems there, oh, bad decision, oh, not good decision, I don't agree with that. And I, I see all of those things, and then now in my heart I begin to say, eh, I'm going to go someplace else. And so I leave church and I go elsewhere only to find out that this is a great place to learn together. It's not the perfect place because church is made out of imperfect people learning from a perfect God. We're all going to have the problems. We're all going to have the, you know, behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. You know, when you come to, your, come to someone's house, they invited you over for dinner, everything's clean. Everything is clean. But try going to that one room that the door is closed. They threw everything in there and just closed that door. Clean the guest bathroom. Clean that one. Leave ours. Leave them. We're not going to use that one. Clean this one up. Wipe everything down. And get dust over there. Look and see all the papers. Clean all of that. And so we, everything is nice up front, but then you go behind. Even in our church, everything is nice. You drive in. Oh, so nice this place. Look at the garden. Oh, the flowers smell good. Go buy the rubbish in the back. Go check out the back, the shed. There's a lot of junk back there. It's just the way it is. We're like that as human beings. We like the upfront presentation, but behind the scenes, it's all junk. It's no different than a church. People, we all have junk. We've all messed up. You know, some time ago, I said, Lord, you know, I've, I've been so focused on so many different things that have I lost your heart? Have I lost the heart that you have in, in the way these sinners flock to hear you? Because I can become like the older son and, and complain. And Jesus addressed them. I had to look at it from this point that Jesus and the church is what makes it work. A church in itself is not going to work if not for Christ. The church is the only organization that Christ started, which tells me the importance of church, that even though we may have imperfect people and we'll have mistakes, we'll have flaws, this is the best place to grow, where forgiveness is offered, where humility is shown, and where, where we can grow with one another. They were, the sinners were ridiculed by the religious leaders. They ridiculed Jesus. But Jesus spoke these parables to let them know that he was here for the broken, the destitute, the hurting, that they would find all they need in their relationship with God. 
that even though they're going to be judged by others, they're going to be embraced by Christ. The younger brother is a picture of the sinner coming to know Christ or the wayward person coming back to Jesus. The religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, the resentful ones, are like the, is like the older brother. Or in our term today, the Christians. They have not wandered away from the house, but they're still in the kingdom. They're still with the Father. And this is where it becomes dangerous because it was the older brother that was complaining. The older brother was complaining to the father. Oh, yeah, so your son comes home and now you, you throw this party. You kill the fatted calf. You didn't even do this for me. You didn't even, you didn't even give me a little goat to go eat with my friends and have a party. But you're this son of yours who comes home and spends all the inheritance, he comes home and you do this for him? And then the heart of God is shared through Jesus Christ. He says, son, all that I have is yours. It was my son who was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, as a believer, you're so focused on the wrong thing. You're so focused on what is happening in the house and, and who gets what, entitlement, you want this. And so you, you grab your friends together and you say things that's happening here. But then when a lost person comes, you're so busy, huddled that, that my son came home, a lost person, and you miss that. And I said, Lord, may that never be in my heart. And I said, Lord, I repent. Lord, give me a heart for the lost that I've been so busy. As a pastor, now I'm, I'm saying this to you. I go through struggles too. As a pastor, I'm so consumed with decisions that need to be made. Uh, what's going to be in the next coming years? The, the finances, the, the attendance, the, the food, the, the structure, the building process that we have to go through, the permitting process and, and all the decisions that need to be made behind the scenes, all the junk stuff that nobody wants to do. And I can get so consumed in that, Lord, that I forgot about the loss. So God, change my heart. I want to be more consumed with what consumes you, and that's finding lost people. People that, that matter to you. That we're okay, Lord. We're going to heaven. We're, we're saved. But there are people that come to our church every single week they walk into these doors, and they're lost. They don't have eternity. And I get stuck in my group of people that, that I'm so concerned about me and what I go through and what decision was made or what decision has not been made. Oh, this was a great decision. This wasn't. Oh, why is this being done? Why is that being done? I get so stuck in that, and a lost person walks right by me as a believer, and I never greet them. I never embrace them. And I'm so consumed about the organization of the church that I forget about the person that is lost. And that's me. I'm that Pharisee. I'm that scribe. I'm the older son. Wouldn't it be so great if all of us as believers... And we're not so consumed about the things that happen in the church more than what is happening with a lost person. 
And just to let you know, I'm going to make decisions that you're not going to like. And I hope we can solve things together. But we, may we not be consumed with that. May we not be consumed with the lighting, the sound system, the breakfast, the, the structure of things that we get lost in that. And here comes a lost person. And they're looking for God. And they're trying to find hope. And they come here. And yeah, we'll do a salvation call. We'll, we'll, we'll pray with them. But oh, I look forward to the day. And, and, and many of us are doing this. So don't get me wrong. I, I know this is not with everyone. But I think we can all rise up to this level. Where when a lost person is found. And someone says yes to the Lord. That we're not so concerned about getting out of here because of the traffic or the food line. But we're more concerned about the lost person saying yes to Jesus and we embrace them. And when they say yes to Jesus Christ and we pray with them that on the way out they're being high-fived by people, hugged by people, saying congratulations, you are now in the family of God. We all play a part in that. It's not the pastor's role only. It is all of us, all of us together, that we would have a heart for the lost person that when they leave here, they leave here excited because all of heaven rejoiced that that which was lost is now found. And everything else we can figure out together. It's, an, it's, it's easy if we all work together to figure those things out. But if a lost person comes here and they never find love and they're not embraced and they leave, what hope do we have? And what do we have to offer being a city on a hill? No sense have a nice building on the hill if there's not love in it. We're just going to be a noisy church. I don't want to be a noisy church. I want to be a loving church. May this day change all of us, myself included, that from this day on, it won't be about us. It won't be about our, our building or, yeah, we're, we're trying our very best with our air conditioning. Why? Because we're all hot. But it's so that when a lost person comes, they can be in an environment that they receive the love of God. It's not for us. The 99 are okay. It's for that one lost person that when they bring their child, their child can be in a comfortable area where they can learn about Jesus Christ. I think we can all do that. There is a shift in our church happening right now, and it's happening in our hearts. So that even when we mess up, even as Christians, we know what to do. It's going back to the heart of God to never lose the heart of the lost. Jeremiah 3.22, it says, My wayward children, we're all wayward, yet we're still his children, says the Lord, come back to me. Come back to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. And this is our answer. Yes, we're coming. The people will reply, for you are the Lord our God. See, we all have differences. We'll all disagree with things, but the one thing we all have in common is that we love the Lord our God. That's the one common thing you and I have. We have a, 
a supernatural tendency to want to do good, but we also have a natural tendency to want to do bad and do wrong. But let's be more like God. Let's, be, let's have the heart of the Father that God always welcomes people. He always welcomes us back, even when we struggle with one another. We don't plan to mess up, but it slowly trickles in and our hearts are hardened. But God breaks that and then he says, here's my heart. He says in Psalm 5, 11, and 12, but you will welcome us with open arms when we run for cover to you. Let the party last all night. Stand guard over our celebration. You are famous. You are famous, God, for welcoming God's seekers, for decking us out in delight. Yeah, the Bible actually said for decking us out in delight. In other words, God clothes us with joy, that he wants to deck us out with joy. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6 it reminds us that he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, all of us like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. I pray that today there will be a shift in all of our hearts. That, yeah, we've messed up, but now here's what we do. That we go back to the heart of God. You know, the vision of this church is to reach the lost one relationship at a time. And if I can't love one person that's lost, then I'm going to have a hard time with the vision of this church. But if I understand the vision, easy easy to work together and, and make things happen for the sake of that one person. We were those people before we came to know Christ. Someone worked hard so that we could hear the gospel and then come to the knowledge of Christ, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we be those people once again and not lose the heart of God. Let's be a city on a hill. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honor of shining your light, to be the city on a hill. But forgive us if we've gone astray, if our hearts have been consumed with things that yeah, need to be done and, and th those are important things and decisions do need to be made. But not so much that we're distracted with all of these things that we forget about the lost. Lord, help us to embrace people. And even when we make mistakes, even when we say things or do things that hurt one another, sometimes we know, sometimes we don't, but when it shows up that we would make it right and do our very best to do what we need to do when we mess up. Heal our hearts, Lord, so that when you send new people, they would sense your love through every single one of us. We want to be a city on a hill that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. amen.